This is the Cinema for All podcast. The celebration of going to the cinema with Jack Chell and Abby Standish. Welcome to the Cinema for All podcast. We're your hosts, Abby. And Jack. And this is our third installment of a mini-series we've been making about what community and independent cinemas, distributors and all the lovely folks part of the cinema industry are doing to stay connected with audiences during this time in lockdown. If you haven't already, you can catch up on our previous episodes and hear some truly heartwarming stories from community cinemas, as well as discussions on our film watches and the effects of lockdown on the cinema industry. If you're a film fan and you want to set up your very own community cinema, or maybe just an online film club, after listening, go to cinemaforall.org.uk or get in touch with us to find out how you can get started. We will help you! Before we get started, we just want to take a moment to tell you the Cinema for All podcast response to the Black Lives Matter movement. We 100% support Black Lives Matter and we truly believe Black Lives Matter. We are working hard to become more anti-racist allies and for Cinema for All to become a more anti-racist organisation. If you want to learn more about Cinema for All's response to the Black Lives Matter movement or to read our statement in full, you can head to the Cinema for All website and have a look in the news section. So as Cinema for All, we're part of something called the International Federation of Film Societies, which is organisations across the world who help communities put on their own screenings. A little bit like us, and we've all got our own different versions of it in different countries. And it's a super exciting, amazing thing to be part of. We've been lucky enough to have some voice clips sent in to us from different parts of the world, including Chile. But we've also been sent one from Marta, who runs the who runs the Norwegian Federation of Film Societies, who are an amazing group. And they're telling us about what community cinemas in Norway have been doing during lockdown to help connect with their audience. Hello from Norway. I'm Marta. I work at the Norwegian version of Cinema for All. We have about 90 film societies here in Norway, and they have showed a lot of creativity in these weird corona times. Several film clubs have organized digital film quizzes, and they've done at-home screenings where everyone watches the same film from home at the same time. Afterwards, they chat about it on their Facebook group. Since Norway is quite big and distancey to begin with, the government has allowed drive-in screenings as long as the people stay in the cars throughout the film. So film clubs have screened films like The Kid and Bohemian Rhapsody. There is even talk of a fly-in cinema in Setestalen where the film club and the local aviation club are screening Top Gun. I am googling how to get a pilot's license as we speak. Right now, the corona situation in Norway is under control, so society is gradually opening up again. We can gather crowds of fewer than 50 people as long as everyone keeps their distance. So cinemas and film societies are opening back up and we are optimistic about the future. So stay safe, everyone, and keep tipping each other about great film gems. Abby, that was so interesting. It's so so fascinating to see what other cinemas are doing and other community cinemas are doing in different parts of the world as we start to emerge from lockdown at different rates. Um, Marta talked about outdoor screenings and drive-in cinemas a lot there, which is something that might become available to us in different parts of the UK at different times as we emerge from lockdown. So it's really interesting to see what's been great about that. Um, If anybody wants to learn a little bit more about outdoor screenings or drive-in screenings that might be a bit more available to us throughout the summer, please head to the Simple website. We've got some special advice that will help you navigate the pitfalls and the challenges as well as some of the rewards of getting involved in that.
So today's episode is called Programming in the Dark because a lot of programmers, especially ones from community cinemas, don't always have the opportunities to attend film festivals and previews as a way to help their programming, be it due to budget, time constraints, accessibility or anything else. So a lot of the time we have to trust reviews and articles or even what our friends are saying about films and also the marketing around the films when it comes to choosing our film programme. So it's like programming in the dark, so to speak. So in today's episode, we'll be talking a little bit more about that, offering suggestions and discussing the role of programming as well. Yeah, I think at a time like this, when a lot of our groups, a lot of community cinemas and volunteer-led cinemas are looking at how they'll start to reopen and when they'll start to reopen, putting together a program based on resources that you have at home, resources that you have on the internet, um, just conversations that you're having with people, it's more important than ever that we look at how we can do something like this um, with with a little less at our fingertips. Um, but it is such a skill that community cinemas already have being on a, on a lower budget. So I, I'm really excited to get into that conversation, Abby. Yeah, me too. And just how much value there is to be had in all those kind of resources you've just mentioned there, although they yeah. are alternative to going to get to the film festivals. But I think they definitely still offer us an awful lot, which is good. Producer Jay's just pointed out to us that we should probably explain what we mean by programming because programming means different things in different industries and different things to different people. Um, For us in the cinema exhibition industry, it means the process of putting together a series of films for film exhibition, for screening to the public. Um, So how you put together the series of films that you'll be showing to people. So that might be a program of a year's worth of films if you're a community cinema, but maybe if you're an independent cinema, it's what you're putting together on a weekly basis. But before we get into today's topic, let's talk about films. Jack, what have you been watching at home recently? Well, Abby, I've been watching a lot of Great British Menu, but that doesn't count. (laughs) I have been watching it too and enjoying it a lot. (laughs) Excellent. The children's literature series is excellent. People should watch Great British Menu this year. Um, But otherwise, still back on that kind of coziness vibe of watching films that I know and love. Um, It's been my birthday, so um, I received Multiple Maniacs, the John Waters film on Criterion, which is a really, really beautiful edition, actually. It's got a great commentary from the man himself. Um, I really love it when you get a beautiful Blu-ray or a DVD and all the extras are just like top-notch. You know, like it used to be when DVDs first were released and you'd get like 20 hours worth of additional stuff. Um, it's really nice when you still get that. So Criterion Collection, it's knocking it out of the park with this John Waters stuff. Um, I've also been watching some sort of Netflix documentaries, the kind of stuff that I think is perhaps not something you would normally see at the cinema. Um, I watched uh, Circus of Books, which is a documentary about a... Um, it's a bookshop and also kind of a porn shop in West Hollywood in LA and it's for the LGBTQIA plus community and it's had books, literature, magazines, erotica, zines, all for the queer community um, to bring them together and probably for sort of like the past 30 years. So throughout the AIDS crisis, throughout lots and lots of changes in legislation for queer people in America. And it's run by what now this elderly couple, elderly married um, heterosexual couple um, who basically ran the shop 
in secret. Um, the wife in particular is very religious and attended synagogue a lot and was quite frightened that her religious community would find out what she did for a living. Um, at one point, they were even producing the porn themselves. They were actually making porn um, and distributing it to, to all, kind of all over the world, really. They were considered a safe space um, for that kind of product. So it's really fascinating to hear about this couple's lives and what they kept secret, even from their children, um, and then and then kind of what happened when that started to come out and people started to understand what they did for a living. So I, I enjoyed it. I mean, that's kind of the documentary that's got my name written all over it, really. But I think it was a little bit disappointing in that it focused a little bit too much on that couple and their family and the effects on their family, particularly on their uh, sons and daughters, that I... I would have preferred to know more about the queer community in LA and West Hollywood at that time because what I mean what a, what a time what a tragic time um what a fascinating time um so many so many people affected so many different types of people and I wanted to hear their stories to be honest I think I think the concept of the bookshop is a great starting point but I would just love a spin-off of all the stories all the people that worked there um, all the people that bought things, the regulars, like that's what I wanted to hear. I think that would have been a meteor story. Yeah, they were the best parts of it, weren't they? The like the employees that work there and what that was like, and yeah, um, and you know, yeah, just really, really good those bits. Yeah, definitely. Oh, you watched it too? Yeah, I watched it um a couple of weeks ago because it got recommended to me after I watched that Trixie documentary. Oh yeah. Um, so I was like, oh yeah, give it a go. Any, yeah, anything it was else? nice, but we want more. Yeah, we want we want more. <laughs> Give us more. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else did I see? Oh gosh, I've not been good this month. You know, I watched The Lovebirds, which again was a Netflix film with Kamel Nanjiani and Issa Rae, um, which you know I liked, but I forgot about really really quickly. It's kind of a bit. It's not quite a heist film. It's like a. Um, mistaken identity film like a north by northwest kind of thing um as they're kind of mistaken for people who might have committed a crime and then how they're trying to escape from that and the very weird odd people that they meet along the the way um and i did like it i just i would love to love it a little bit more because i love kamel nanjani Mm. like i just love him he's great i love um what's the name of that blimmin film the big sick big sick i love the big sick like that's the coziest, loveliest film that I could think of to watch on a on a, like a rainy day, and also I really like Silicon Valley, and he's excellent in that. So it's just great. And yeah. can I be his best friend along with him and his wife Emily V. Gordon? I just think they're amazing. They are great. I remember I first discovered him because he had an X Files podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, and then yeah. and then obviously I found out about his acting career. But yeah, The Big Sick is so good, and I haven't seen Lovebirds, so I have to check it out. So the film's interesting because it was supposed to have been released cinematically, but obviously because of the the health crisis, it's just been released on Netflix. And I think it feels a little bit more like a Netflix film to me. I don't think it is super cinematic. There's not huge amounts of it that I think should be, you know, necessarily a big screen film. But I think if it had come out cinematically, I will, I would have still showed up with my money and I would have been happy to contribute money to that because it's a film fronted by two people of colour. And I think that when we see that and we see people that we love 
um, like, you know, I love Camille Nanjiani and I'm a fan. I'm happy to show up with my tenor um, to show that that film is, it has an audience um, and that we want to see films fronted by people of color and black people. And that's, that's important that we support those films. Yeah. Even if it was a little bit more made for TV movie. Yeah, exactly. Our cinema tickets have a lot of power. With that yeah. Kind of thing. Exactly. Um, I, I've had a really mixed bag of what I've watched. A lot of kind of like cozy crap mixed with, <laughs> which is obviously has its place. And I, I, we, we talk about that a lot and we love it. Uh, so it's, there's no shame. Um, so the best film I watched was Wajda, which is on Mubi. And it's pretty famous because it's the first feature length film made by a female Saudi director, um, Hafa Al Mansur. And she recently released The Perfect Candidate, so you might have seen that as well. Um, but it's such a wonderful film. There was parts of my heart literally swelled from the emotion in it. Um, and it's just about this little girl who really wants a bike, which is so simple. But um, where, where they are in Saudi Arabia, girls aren't allowed to ride bikes. Um, so it's quite a big thing that she wants a bike for one and... Um, wants to and is seen riding one she kind of borrows her friend's bike um to 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 practice um and it's just about her just this lovely girl and her mother as well which is a lovely relationship that you see as well and it's shot beautifully um it's just really impressive really well written so kind of I don't know, all the ingredients really come together so well and there's not, there's not too much of any one thing and it just creates this wonderful, perfect thing that sits on your palate so well um, oh. that it's a film that I'll I'll keep in my heart forever, I think, just because of the very subtle but really meaningful effects it had on me when I watched it. Yeah. That's so, so nice. I'd recommend that to everybody. Um, might even be a nice like family watch or just like if you're on your own, anything. I think anyone can watch this film and just get something out of it. I also rewatched The Wedding Singer. Um, Yay! Fancy doing that because I love Drew Barrymore. Also, have a soft spot for some Adam Sandler films like The Big Daddy oh, and Billy Madison. I feel like we've said that before. But, big um, soft spot for the Sandler. He's also just great at shouting. Um, but it's aged quite a bit as a film um but it was you know easy for a sunday watch speaking of another film that's aged quite a bit and fits on the theme of age um i recently turned 30 so i watched 13 going on Woo-hoo! 30 on my 30th birthday it's 30 I'm doing stre- um streamer noises <laughs> <laughs> um and again it's aged a lot but it was still kind of like a sweet film in places and you know what other films are you supposed to watch on your 30th i don't know if anyone knows that, tell me. <laughs> uh, and then I also watched uh, Apple Mortgage Cake, which is this film on Amazon Prime that me and my parents just like put on on a whim. Um, and it was just kind of a really heartwarming film. It's based on a true story about this woman who's raising three teenage boys on her own. And it's just after the financial crisis in America, well, across the world, but in America um, about 2009. And... She her house is going to be repossessed, and she's um, this. Also, she's also this amazing volunteer at this women's center who's always helping other women get on their feet after homelessness or abuse. Um, a really selfless person, and she gets this idea to basically sell and um, bake and sell her apple cakes, which her grandma taught her how to make. Um, 
So it's just a really touching story. And just, again, a lovely Sunday watch, you know, about three o'clock with a hot chocolate, especially because it's been raining, um, which was enjoyable. And I also watched Howl's Moving Castle. Love. Yeah. Howl is, like, literally made for you, Jack. I know. I love him so much. He's, like, the hottest drawing. (laughs) He, like, literally is. Like, you know in Inside Out where... um, they go into her brain and that like, the little girl's brain and then there's that like teenage boy that's like her crush that is just a generic crush in her that. head that they use as a decoy i feel like yours would be howl that is not inaccurate he's <laughs> he's great he can change his hair color he's he's moody why why is that nice to me i don't know but i love him <laughs> yeah yeah he cares really but he is he is moody and he's yeah, but but so, but I thought it was I thought it was good. It's definitely not my favorite Studio Ghibli or Ghibli. Um, I think it looks amazing, and as always, and there's some like lovely elements to it. But I feel like because uh, Miyazaki like loves the book that that's based on so much, I feel like he's kind of got it in his head and feels like everybody else is already there if you if you've read the book. So mm. therefore, has a lot of like messy narrative in it that yeah doesn't make a lot of sense or isn't tied up or whatever but it doesn't really matter it was a nice cozy film uh, mm. for ages i kept thinking it was keanu reeves voicing howl but it's christian bale C- christian bale which is interesting um but yeah that that was enjoyable also watched the green lantern <laughs> Now, which one's the Green Lantern? Is that With Seth Rogen or Ryan Reynolds? The Ryan Reynolds one. Okay. okay. I don't know. I don't know why I watched it. Like, way too late. It's aged astronomically. It's about 10 years old, but it feels like 20 years old. Um, It's got some real Channel 5 looking, like, colouring to the film and um, kind of special effects. <laughs> um. But yeah, it was f- fine. <laughs> it got panned, didn't it, at the time? Yeah, it did. It totally, it just kind of disappeared without a trace. Yeah. Um, and he since went on to play Deadpool, didn't he, Ryan Reynolds? So he's, he shook that off and got a different hero <laughs> or anti hero. Yeah. Um, People like him now. Do you know what I always remember him from? The Sabrina the Teenage Witch movie. Yes. Oh my God, is he Harvey? He's not Harvey. He's, he's like. This other guy who's like the hot jock that she has a crush on, and Harvey's like, "Whoa, I'm just dorky Harvey," <laughs> <laughs> and he can't act at all. But what a film! Oh yeah, God, good time. I I feel like I've I've never been bothered about Ryan Reynolds' stuff. Like I've never disliked him, but I've never like loved him. But when I saw the Pikachu movie <laughs> a couple of years ago, or last year was that which I loved, by the way. Do not hold anything against that film. Great film. And he's in it, and I really liked him in it. Why haven't I seen that film yet? I, I do not know. It's literally, made, it's literally made for you. I don't know where you're at. You need to, like, get, like, your howl. I feel like, would you be howl if you were a boy, Jack? Maybe. Maybe. I feel <laughs> like you would be howl and you would watch that film and love it. Yes. <laughs> I don't know the nonsense we talk sometimes, but that's it. So yeah, not a lot going on in the film world, but there's loads on my list that I've just not got round to yet. Um, mm. But so hopefully the next episode we'll we'll have some different films in there. 
Well, I think it's perfectly acceptable to retreat to something a bit comforting at the moment. Um, Yeah. There's obviously a lot less stuff being released. Although, you know what has been released? Uh, Radioactive, which is a new film starring Rosamund Pike and Sam Riley. And producer Jay actually sat down with Sam Riley and had a little conversation with him. And that's a mini-sode that we just released. So go back and listen to that and then go and download Radioactive, um, which should have had a cinematic release, but but sadly it's it's just available to download instead but it is a great film right so on to today's discussion abby so we wanted to talk about programming in the dark for various reasons really so putting together a film program or film season without resources that you might normally be able to access so a lot of people who are programmers either for their profession or on a voluntary basis are they might be able to go to festivals but at the very least they're usually able to go to the cinema and they'll be able to see what's coming up, what the trailers are. I mean, that's just such a humongous resource that we're without at the moment. Um, so we really wanted to, during this time when everybody's in the dark, whether you're a professional programmer or you're a programmer at a volunteer screen, everybody's programming in the dark at the moment. Everybody's got limited materials. Everybody's doing it from their bedrooms or their home office or their sofas instead of the places that we normally would be. So even even if you were working from limited resources to begin with, things are even more limited at the moment, um, just in terms of who you can chat with and how slow things move and how much more difficult it is to have conversations about film with the people that would normally be in your committee or in your community. So we thought it was a great time to talk about it. We've always thought, Abby and me and the rest of Cinema for All, um, that community cinemas do an amazing job of programming with limited resources, um, with limited funds, with limited ability to travel to film festivals in the way that people who work for independent cinemas might be able to. And I think there's just so much that everybody in the industry can learn from volunteers that they can take forward um, that can help us all when we get back to normal, whatever normal might be. Yeah, definitely. I think there's so many interesting Um, ways at approaching programming there are ways that are tried and tested that are really good tips to kind of lay foundations but there are also things that you can introduce and I think sometimes it's not always it's look it's a nice blend of looking internally and looking externally Um, and by internally I also mean like within your community and then externally about the wider film world um, which can all help with that and I think there's a thing around um film in general that there's an ownership of it if you're like an intellectual about film which you know it's a great thing to be but it just I think if you've got a passion for film that is the kind of catalyst for you getting to the the to get into grips with programming basically and that there's nothing you can't really learn um it's not just something somebody's born with it's it's a skill that you can develop and learn and it's open to anybody um so we're going to outline some of the ways that you can develop that skill um or how other people have in the past and hopefully that might help anyone out there that is thinking about their upcoming program for their whether it's an indie cinema or a volunteer-led cinema uh, as well Oh, Abby, I think you've just made such a great point there that um, programming, the ability to program is something you can learn and it's not something you're born with because I think that we might see this role as a programmer um, in a professional setting as something that's a very sought-after position and it's somebody who has to have an absolute humongous wealth of film knowledge and a lot of power 
um, with regards to what an audience might see based on that. Um, but, you know, with volunteer-led cinema and hopefully the resources that we put out that help people set up this for themselves, it's something that we can all do. It's something that we can all crack at, have a crack at. And I think that... Um, breaking down of the barriers and breaking down of that power that might be held by one position or one person in an institution is incredibly powerful when that power is handed to people in their community to choose films for their community based on what that audience will like rather than what yeah. you think they should watch. Wow, the power is immense. Yeah, I think that brings us to a really key part of being a programmer and what has become increasingly more important now is that we are remain the the best thing you can do is remain open just generally about programming about film in general um that don't just choose kind of one trusted voice um because you know even if there is a critic that we love um that obviously they're valid but there's a world beyond that and you know what we might like as like a deep deep film fan might not always translate to what the community wants and likes and needs so it's good to think about what is your primary vision for your cinema you know why do you want to exist why do you want to screen films and it could be any reason and one is no more valid than the next so maybe it is just primarily to entertain perhaps it's really deep outreach because you haven't got cinema provision or you want to get stories on screen that just aren't getting on screen elsewhere and you feel like you want to be part of that movement which is all great. Perhaps it's a social reason. It's just simply to get the community together, which are all great and will all inform where you're programming from and what kind of films that you choose in. And I think that something we've also got to think about is where like sometimes our individual perspective as a programmer, which is always trying to filter, you know, filter in everything that is around us. So it isn't just a very individualistic look at something, but it's it's definitely important when we're programming um, for a particular audience. So whether that's, you know, maybe trying to get a audience of 15 to 18 year olds and perhaps you're not 15 to 18. So therefore, you should definitely work alongside that age group or at least talk to them or with a community gatekeeper that works with that age group to formulate a very genuine or an authentic um, researched programming response for your cinema um, and that will just help make sure that it is genuine it's in-depth and it has a direct dialogue from that point on um, before the film's even gone on to your cinema listings it started at the ground level which I think is important and then hopefully that will help that audience um, reach be even better yeah I think it's um it's a place it's a place where you're trying to balance instinct and uh intuition with research and not assumptions really so you might think that you know an awful lot about a certain type of cinema so maybe you are a big fan of queer cinema and you know an awful lot about it and you think that you're in a great position to program for a queer community but maybe you're not queer yourself it's just important that you not just consult with the queer, queer community, but you have to share that power with the people that are that you intend the films to be for, the people who are the audience. You have to share that with them. So otherwise you're making all sorts of assumptions about what they've seen, what they know, um, and it can come across as very patronising. And, and I think as volunteer programmers particularly, the 
the power in sharing power that you have that you have got for yourself is is so so important and i think that's where you start to see um films that are outside of what we would normally expect to see films that tell different perspectives films that are more intersectional uh films that aren't just the the obvious ones that are sort of part of the beaten path so it's the same if you want to screen films for a particular community that are from a certain place. If, you, if you're reaching out to Polish people, you're reaching out to people of colour, you're reaching out to people with disabilities, even reaching out to people that might be an older audience than you. There's a lot of assumptions that are often made that older audiences only want to see classic films, but that's actually the last thing that they want to see a lot of the time because they've seen it all and they want to see something new. So it's I think what we always tell people is... Um, Always listen to your instincts um, as a program and a person who knows an awful lot about film. But you have to feed that instinct with facts, with support, um, with other people's opinions. Just don't rely on instinct as being the absolute be all and end all. Just test it by adding more and more into it. And that will make you such a more well-rounded, intersectional and thoughtful programmer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Assumption is a closed door and it's never a friendly thing, even if it has good intentions behind it. So yeah, just get the conversations going. Um, and yeah, you can always bring your skills. You know, you might know about film licensing, etc., and all of that. And that's all really valid as well. Um, but yeah, that blend of working with your community is just a really wonderful thing to be a part of and to yeah. learn from as well I think that's another thing about programming is we're always learning you never reach a point of like oh now I'm the perfect programmer because I've been to five festivals or I know a lot about lots of different type of cinema or we have sellout screenings um all fantastic things to have and definitely give you some sort of evaluation towards your programming but I think the moment we stop learning, the moment we're doing kind of a disservice to ourselves as film fans and also to our community and audiences as well. Mm. I think um, something producer Jay always reminds me of at the minute is is asking why you're doing a certain thing. Um, what is the reason for why you want to embark on that programme or why you want to choose that film? Who is it for? Is it for them or is it kind of for you? Is it because you like that film or you really want to introduce people to it? What, what impact will it have on, on the audience? And just think about that quite carefully. Yeah. I think we're, we're quite big fans of taking audience reactions and really understanding how an audience has responded to what you've chosen for them before um, and perhaps even some suggestions from what they might want to see in the future. Again, it's about feeding that instinct and feeding that knowledge uh, with more facts. So you're, you're looking at what's been successful, what people have enjoyed, what comments they might have given you, what they feel they want to be challenged by and what, what you can educate them with. And um, there's so much to be said for research um, and just feeding that into your, your superpower as a programmer. Yeah, exactly. So if, if, you know, if anything, it might confirm what you already strongly thought anecdotally about films or audiences about you know your program but much better than that it gives you um things to think about it might raise a question to you it might bring about something really nice that you didn't know about or something where you have a, a power to change something for the better and mm -hmm. I think being honest about why you're programming anything is super important so say you are programming something because you really like it 
but think about it a bit deeper obviously because you you probably it might be that you think oh it's really feel good and I hope that it helps other people feel good um which is a lovely reason to screen something but Mm -hmm. you know be communicative about where that program has come from and and uh, kind of why you're sharing that with an audience is 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 a good idea and you can do so obviously audience reactions as Jack mentioned there is really really good that's going to be one of your best friends as a programmer to build a narrative and a story about how your audience are receiving new films across a year six months three months um but also research in the beginning stages or at least once a year you might do like generalized research as if as if nobody knew about you which is quite a good thing to think um because lots of people probably don't know about your cinema uh, through no fault of your own just that's the way it is so you could do research about you know what genres do people like it gives you a bit more scope to work from rather than specific titles that they might name um what might attract them to a film so we all have different reasons why we go to the cinema or why we pick a film it might be it might be like the actor the director or the theme but also it could be the price the time that you're putting that film on that has a big kind of sway as to where people can spend their time and money and resources into going to watch a film so understanding what your community are kind of leading with as to what attracts them to a film might help you not only pick the films, but how you uh, get the word out there that you're screening them. So whilst we're at home and we're in lockdown, what are some really good resources that people can look at, Abby? Well, there's quite a few out there. Um, So at the moment, one of the biggest ones that comes to mind due to the current circumstances that nearly every festival has moved online, which I think opens up so much in terms of accessibility, whether it is accessibility in terms of um, economic accessibility or uh, physical accessibility. So it makes a lot more uh, screenings and festivals available to to everybody virtually. Mm -hmm. Um, You could also, we've got a um, programmer's calendar that you can download for free, which kind of details different things that are happening in the calendar um, where you might think about your program in terms of that and how you can use that to kind of um, help bolster and strengthen your program and be very involved in what's going on outside of your cinema and that's just part of the world of the UK or even your local area. You can keep chatting about film I think is the biggest one. I think sometimes when some of us are kind of internal processes and of other others are external processes and you you kind of figure out your feelings as you speak about it and I think if you think about how we sometimes have to take our programmer hat off so that's you know the things that are about curation licenses you know understanding all that and you know strengthen your hat as like an audience member because I think that will lead you down the right track so thinking about well what are your favorite cinema memories what you know specifically going to the cinema you've mentioned jack how some films are great for home on your own and are great as just like an online watch and other things are better shared and enjoyed as a group so think about what they are and what what are the reasons for that and ask your committee and your friends and your family and your community what those things are and that's a great resource to think about how that will inform the types of films you might put on at your cinema rather than just like good films in general I think um the point about just chatting to your audience is so valuable Abby because a massive challenge that we're going to have when cinemas reopen again when community cinemas reopen again is persuading people that 
they should go to the cinema. People are going to be out of the habit. People are going to be in the habit of seeing things on a small screen and thinking that that's okay and that's fine and that's enough because, you know, that's all we've had our fingertips for the last three months and, and maybe more. So we, in some ways, we're going to have to start from scratch in um, developing that audience muscle within people that you should go out to the cinema and share these experiences. So you staying in touch with your audience continues to share that cinema experience, talking to them about what they've seen, sending them recommendations for things that they can stream um, and, and having conversations with them all the time, constantly. Sometimes it might not even have to be about film. Sometimes you just have to put yourself in front of them as the programmer to remind them of, of what you can offer as a community cinema or as a cinema when we go back. And that might mean that you, I, I know some community cinemas that are doing seed swaps um been doing different different ways of sharing been doing online film quizzes but it's just about keep kind of continuing to talk to people and remembering who they are um, and making sure they don't forget who you are yeah definitely programming is connection programming is a conversation and it's ears listening as well as kind of projecting something and you know inviting someone to look at something i remember when we went to interview wendy at hyde park picture house and she said as you know quite an introverted person it's the way that she gets to communicate her you know her community that that cinema as as, as an institution um mm. and that's what she's thinking about when she's putting her program together and i think that is lovely it's something you know you're putting on a plate and you're offering everybody to share so it's not just kind of you know your own slice of pizza everybody's got oh i do always come back to these metaphors this is a good metaphor <laughs> it's just like go with it slice and everyone's putting something into that experience so the programmer is by putting something on on screen but the audience are as well by turning up turning up and having a reaction and having a chat about it so therefore keeping that those lines of communication open you know it's your best friend really going forward as a programmer yeah pizza pizza is a two-way street you can't just make it somebody's got to come and eat it yeah it's always better shared it's always better and shared it, um, and it's always better if it's something that they're gonna like <laughs> sorry it's so awful <laughs> I think another thing to think about as a programmer is think about how you evaluate and value your programming results. So obviously the very the very kind of um stark one is box office scores essentially. You know, how many people came? Did this get bums on seats? And obviously people coming in is the, the bread and butter of everything but it's not the only reason it's not the only measure of a, a well-programmed film I think we've got to remember that you know when when I was running a community cinema we programmed plenty of films um that didn't have a massive turnout and some whether that was through um the film not having a large appeal or it just it's things out, out of our circumstance which often it is whether it's the weather the time of year but well, we've had like eight people see um, this uh, African film called Moolad, for example, which is a film about female genital mutilation, which is obviously not a very comfortable subject for a lot of people, but it's an incredible film. And um, from a very filmic cinematic point of view, but also the subject and the way that it's handled. And about eight people came to it, but it meant, it meant a lot to the people that watched it. And they said they some were thinking I've always wanted to see it and other people have said that they never would normally watch a film like this and we had a big conversation after that 
we wouldn't have been able to do if it was a full house. It would have been too busy. But because there was only, you know, 10 of us in the room, we really talked about it. And it was a very much like a shared experience and something that was an exchange that we took away with us beyond the cinema doors, which I think is a really great measure for a successful pro- successfully programmed film. And I, and again, I think you've touched on another... Everything you're saying is so good, Abby. But I think you've touched on another really good thing there about... Um, something that community cinemas do so well and I would love to see in many more places the programmer sitting with the audience and having a conversation with them I think so often the temptation could be I've I've seen this film I think you'll love it I've put it on I've gone home Uh, and you, you don't sit with the audience and feel it and experience it and then talk to them afterwards um because you're right with a film like that that you've just described there's so many emotions that you might trigger in your audience there's so many memories that you might trigger in your audience that it's kind of it's a responsible thing to do to stay and have a conversation with them it also will make you a better programmer to to really connect with people and remember why you're doing this it's not just putting on a film and then going home and then choosing another film and then going home yeah I mean if you picture it as like a conversation between you and your friend and you you know relating to nowadays you went on zoom and someone's like oh what what have you watched what would you recommend what do you think's a good film and you did it and you were the only one that got to contribute to that conversation it just gets a bit boring that like you want to say what you thought was good or what you thought was interesting despite whatever your kind of relationship or background to film is there's nobody who's like more right necessarily it's a totally subjective thing um so keeping it as an exchange is just a bit just a lot more fun for everyone yeah asking people what sorts of films they like is really really powerful because if you ask people exactly what they want to see the the chances are that they've seen those films before and that they won't come out to see it if it's raining if it's cold it's thursday it's november Um, And particularly, I think, in a post-lockdown landscape where it's going to be much more challenging to encourage people to come to the cinema, showing them something that they could just see at home on the TV is is perhaps not the one. So asking them for the types of films, the genre, and then you applying your instincts and your knowledge um, on top of that and guiding them on a journey to something new, something different, something they didn't know that they loved, uh, that's when you create a lasting relationship with an audience. So just to wrap up, obviously programming is a massive subject we could talk about all day long and we all have our different perspectives of it, which makes it such a beautiful thing. But to underpin what we said, the key points are to research, talk and keep an open dialogue and to evaluate. Yeah, so go back and check what worked and what didn't work in order to feed your instincts as a programmer and create something better next time. So that's all we've got time for today. Uh, But if you want to get in touch with us and tell us what your cinema is doing or how you're starting to prepare your programme for when we might reopen again, whenever that might be, do get in touch um, or even send us a voice clip, no longer than about a minute, to info at cinemaforall.org.uk and we'll do our best to share everyone's story. Yeah, and if you want to just get in touch generally or talk about anything we've talked about in the podcast, you can also contact us on Twitter at Cinema for All Pod, and we'd be happy to uh, see your feedback on there. You can also rate and review us on iTunes or on your podcasting app, which helps us reach a wider audience, so thank you for doing that. But for now, it's time to roll credits. <laughs> Producer? Jay Platt. Logo designed by? Lydia Lipinski at Thoughts Make Things. Hosted by? Chat Chell and Abby Standish with thanks to 
Marta at the Norwegian Federation Film Societies, and Deborah Parker. The Cinema for All podcast is supported by the BFI awarding funds from the National Lottery. Thank you! Thank you.